Welcome back to yet another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movies by Minutes hosts, like me, examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm Murrin. I did Point Break Minute, and I'm currently doing The Cast and the Furious, which is basically a podcast that is on hiatus any time that we're not currently recording it. Uh, but we'll, we, we, we do it for fun. Uh, and uh, if you're following that, I appreciate you. <laughs> uh, I'm here. Uh, my co-host for Point Break Minute, Jessa, has uh, bowed out to get some to eat. Um, and that's, you know, we're, we're just uh, hanging casual here. So that's cool. Um, but I still have uh, my very special guest, my dad, Bob Keckley, composer, musician, uh, all that stuff. Um, t- t- talk a little bit about yourself. What do you, what do you, uh, what do you bring well, uh, yeah, as you said, I'm a musician, so uh, I, I see a lot of things in that context. Mm-hmm. Even storytelling, it, it seems like well, there's a musical aspect to it, even there's no mm-hmm. music. But uh, so kinds of ways in, in which story arcs work, that's a musical thing to me. Uh, so yeah, that's totally. one way I kind of see the world. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what You were mentioning that this score is... Uh, in the previous minute, uh, you're mentioning the score is a, a little much sometimes. It goes a little bit too far and it gets a, it's a little obvious, I think would be the yeah, way to put it. Yeah, that's how I'd say it. There's a, I think that the um, uh, story would be better served uh, if the, uh, the music were just a little bit more subtle. Yeah. It could be, you know, consistent with what's going on on screen, but to actually telegraph everything the way it does uh, a lot of the time. Uh, and I'm not talking about Hoagie Par- Carmichael's wonderful piano playing. I'm not talking no, about that. that. That's thought, not part of the score. That's, those, no. are, those are uh, incidental, what would you say? It's diegetic music? Yeah, exactly. One yeah. of my favorite, favorite words, diegetic. <laughs> <laughs> I always try to bring that, I always try to use that. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's music it's that exists in the movie that the characters can hear. Yeah, the background score that's supposed to create a mood. But in this case, it, it goes beyond creating a mood and kind of telegraphs the story in too obvious a way. Yeah, because, because there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that I can think of in this movie that I didn't, I mean, I, I, I missed things, obviously, as we, if you listen to the last one, I, I, I certainly missed things, but there's nothing in this movie. Uh, I mean, I just watched it once just now, so forgive me. Uh, but uh, there's, there's nothing in the movie that I can think of that I wouldn't have understood without music. Yeah, that's a good point. That you didn't need the music all, to tell you what's going on. It's all very clearly told and very in a good way. Like it's it's uh not that it's not subtle. Um sometimes it's not subtle, but like it yeah, everything all the acting and and writing is very clearly telling doing what it's supposed to do. Yeah. And I you know, some there's certain movies where I think the music helps a little, you know, you if it's it's that old thing of like uh you see the the a man with a blank blank expression, and then it shows a bowl of soup, and they're like, "Oh, he's hungry." Yeah. You see, like a woman, it's like, "Oh, he wants the woman," and like you you can have a blank expression or not really be doing anything, and then imply something, and you can do that with music. I think, and certain movies do that, where it's like, without the music, it might not be clear what's happening, but they need yeah. that to sort of. But in this one, I didn't feel that way. Now we're talking about scores, and it's you know it's fun to rank things. 
I'm going to put you on the spot. What would you say are your top three movie scores? Ooh, oh, that's hard. Yeah, I know. Let's think of movie scores. I have to think of some. Usually I, I think, well, let's see, who are the good um, movie score composers and what have they done? Uh, I know you're a big Bernard Herrmann fan. Oh, well, that's true. Yeah. North by Northwest. I love the score to North by Northwest. That one's great. Uh, yeah. Vertigo, of course. So all the ones that he did were good. Um, I do like the John Williams stuff. I, yeah. you know, those are good. And, and uh, the, the ones that, uh, what's that other fella? Um, Horn, John. Uh, oh, oh, James Horner. James Horner. Yeah, I've liked some of his. Did he do the, uh, do the, um, uh, the Hobbit stuff? That was Howard Shore. Howard Shore. I like those too. That's, those are that, great. Those scores are tremendous. They're fantastic. I feel like the John Williams and, and the, uh, the, the Lord of the Rings scores are examples. I, I feel like those scores tell the story uh, in a different way though. Like, like if, you listen, if you listen to like the Star Wars, the first one or any, any of them really, like Star Wars or Lord of the, or Lord of the Rings, I feel like the music in those movies tells the story very clearly, but on a more of an emotional level. Yeah. Whereas in this movie, it's like literally picking out like, oh, he's, the blinds fell down. So we're going to do a little tinkly mute sound to go with that. Or like, oh, the kids are in shot. So we'll do like a little kid theme or like in those, in those movies, it's more of like an overarching, like, oh, Luke is looking out across the desert of Tatooine and he's dreaming about a, a life beyond the moisture farm and there's like a swelling orchestral moment and it, like that moment tells that story it, but it more assists with the story it, right it, it doesn't right. It, it uh it makes it a, a little better you know that's the yeah, best, it enhances that's best it. you can, yeah that's the best you can get when you're uh that's what i always call a marriage of the music with the story yes yeah yeah, yeah. that's a good way to put it rather than, you know, them trying to compete or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, be separate from each other. If they can really meld. Uh, and then, and, then and tell, tell the stories in a different way. Like they, the music in this movie is kind of like just doing what the action is doing, but in musical form. Whereas in those, it's like, it's telling a different aspect of the story. It's sort of like, there's one, there's this, what you're seeing on screen is one side and they're sort of, yeah, they're, they're, complimenting each other that's right it's actually adding a marriage you you put it it best it's a marriage (laughs) and you could say that it's adding information instead of just exploiting information that's already there yes yeah adding yeah adding something instead of yes that's perfect that's perfect you're such a good guest such a good podcast (laughs) thank you better than i could hope for yeah so So in the actually in this movie uh you know i would say that a lot of the music is like that where it's just over the top not every moment, though. I'm not going to say No, that. it's not all bad. It's just, uh, yeah, there are some moments where I didn't need it. Um, yeah. And then there's some, and then the rest of it, it was kind of like, it was serviceable. Um, yeah. It, it didn't detract or add. It was just kind of like, okay, this is an old-fashioned movie store. It's, it's there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, North by Northwest, Vertigo. Yeah, John, John Williams is interesting. He's had a, such a long career. Right. 
right. and he's had so he's he's made so so many big movies um right and yeah he's always pretty good there was one i saw of his that was so old that he was credited as johnny williams oh i think i know what you're talking about it was uh, it, we watched how to steal a million that's the one that's the that's one the and one. guess what directed by william wyler Oh, it isn't all that interesting? comes around. I'm so, it's, <laughs> I was going to bring that movie up, and then you did. Yeah, that's yeah. that's magic right there. Yeah, okay, that, but yeah, I that's, remember, a, that's a pretty good movie. Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, uh, Peter O'Toole is it? Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn. That's yeah. right. Yeah, and uh, I, I just remember thinking, oh yeah, uh, there's a hint of what John Williams really did later. Yeah, it's like a '60s, uh, so he's really yeah. young, Johnny Williams, yeah. and. Uh, you can, yeah, you can get a little, you can kind of, if you know what's it, coming, it, you can kind of get it. Because he, it was quite an inventive score. Yeah. You yeah. Know? He wasn't doing what you'd, ex- quite what you'd expect yeah, from a movie exactly. of that era. Just a little bit out of the ordinary, a little bit more uh, creative than, than most, even for that, that kind of a movie. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah, William I Wyler, the all, name of it. Yeah. always, always, uh, yeah, he's pushing the edge, get hiring new composers. Um, anyway, this this minute, uh, uh, Al has just thrown his boots out the window, and then the blinds fall down, and the comedy is ratcheted up another notch. Yeah, and I remember he waited to to hear the boots hit the ground. He wanted to he throw them out. He dropped them, and then there was a a silence, and then. Boom. You, you heard him hit the ground. <laughs> so so you, you could say it was a boots on the ground operation. That's right. And he, and he made a satisfied look on his face knowing yeah. that they hit the ground. So, <laughs> I, you know, I, they miss, I feel like they might've missed an opportunity in seeing like some, some poor guy walking along the, the sidewalk and uh, it just, you know, the boots land on his head or. Or he picks or, them up because he needs some boots. You know, that's that's even better. <laughs> like a, a a hobo walking along with like a bindle, and he sees like, oh, these boots, perfect. And then you, I feel like we could have followed that character in like little yeah. bits and pieces throughout the movie. That that could have been good. I would have liked that. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked that too. Um, and then he could have come to the wedding at the end or something like that. He was like, you know, related to someone. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> We're already improving on an Academy Award winning movie. Right, it's, right. They should, they should hire us. Uh, well, the only problem with that is that they'd have to break the shot, which they were. That's you know, very being true. So realistic with keeping the camera on him the whole time. Yeah, that is, this is all in one shot. And uh, yeah. that's always fun to see. Um, so he, yeah, he drops his boots and then he, uh, he goes over and there's a big mirror on the wall and then he sees uh, an old uh, photograph. Uh, before he went to war it looks kind of like a, a headshot of frederick march might have used uh to get work yeah um although he might be in his, is he in his uniform i can't in the, is, in the picture or is he just in a suit i don't remember i don't remember yeah i think it was just in a suit it was pre-war yeah, yeah before he so. would have gone to war uh <laughs> and he looks at it and he's like oh my hair is receding and he's he's doing this like oh he's looking at himself in the mirror pulling on his eyes and looking at his hairline yeah, and he yeah. does look pretty bad. Like he, I, I have to give him a little bit of credit, or whoever did this. Like he, I'm sure he, uh, you know, he's a little older than he would have been in that wherever they got that photograph. But they make him look kind of bad in this shot. Mm-hmm. He looks tired and and hungover, which he should be. Yeah, you know, and, he's and a- worn, was worn down from the war. 
you know, there's a tradition of uh, people playing drunks like we were talking about before, uh, but Frederick March was also um, quite well known for the role of Norman Baines in A Star is Born. Oh, yeah. He was, he was, he, uh, was that the first one? That was the first one. The first back one in is 1937, maybe. So, you, yeah, it was that, there. and then the James Mason, Judy Garland one, and then right. the Chris Christopherson, uh, yeah. Is it Bar- Barbara Streisand in that yes, one? Yes, Barbara Streisand. And, and then, of course, the latest one with uh, Lady, <laughs> Lady Gaga. Um, but, the, but there's a lot of drunk playing and not funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, definitely not funny in that story. It's, it's, uh, so uh, Frederick March has done a lot of... Uh, he has a wide range. Yeah, he I saw he, he played uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that was you know, one of I his think, first big movies. I think he was the first to do that, too. Wow. But wow. uh, I, then, it, then it, also Spencer Tracy did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Jack Palance did it. Oh, I don't, man. I don't, I don't know how many more, but it was a popular sure thing to try to more. do. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, you know, a challenge that actors love to. Yeah, it's the, the dual role is written in. And I got to see those movies. I've, I don't think I've seen any of those. They all, I, they all sound pretty interesting with those guys. If I'm remembering right, uh, uh, Frederick March also played opposite spencer tracy in inherit the wind yes I that's think true. so with as william jennings bryant yeah so he he would have been let's see i know he was in it yeah he was william jennings bryant i'm pretty sure so the, the, is he the the, the, the republican bible the, yeah. yeah the bible thumper and then I, spencer tracy is the hero yeah 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 because Spencer Tracy's a little bit, it would have been a little bit younger. He's sort of like a little bit of a next generation. Yeah, a little bit. So he did the, would, he, yeah. he did the uh, Jekyll Hyde uh, portrayal uh, some years later after Frederick March. Frederick yeah. March oh, oh, yeah. is kind of largely in the 30s. No, yeah, that was when he was like a big, yeah, he was doing the big yeah. leading roles. And then this, this yeah. movie would have been like, oh, he's a little older. He's, he's playing the oldest of the, guy, the three guys. Yeah, I think this, this one came out in 1950, but it was, they started filming it in like one year after the war. Yeah, I thought it said 1946, but, but maybe, but maybe it wasn't released till 50, I don't think. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but, was, yeah Spencer Tracy is Henry Drummond and Frederick March is uh, Matthew Harrison Brady. Oh, okay. But, did you say Brady. Williams Jennings Bryant? I think he played that too, somewhere. Who's, who's but, William yeah. Jennings Bryant? That's, I know that name. Uh, he was a, a politician, um, uh, very religious. Oh, yeah. And he, he was involved. He was attacking the... He was also involved in the Scopes trial. Was he, was he like maybe. who that guy was based on or something? Uh, maybe he was a witness or something. I don't know. I thought because, he was. Yeah, it was Will and, William Jennings Bryan and Clarence Darrow. Okay. so I think those they, are the real life guys. And then they yes. changed the names and inherited the Oh, win. that's what they did. Yeah. I, that must be it. Anyway, it's interesting. You know, you just, know th- this film, uh, the one we're talking about, uh, you know, really uh, broke some, um, broke through some taboos uh, uh, as far as, you know, the war hero persona uh, mm-hmm. and, and trying to sort of say, well, wait a minute, there's something, we're, we're not talking about this. You know, it's getting past the John Wayne war movies. Kind yeah, of. we're pretending that all war heroes are happy to be home and and having a wonderful time and everything like that. And 
And this was a story that needed to be told. And uh, so it was, it's brave to, yeah. to, to bring it out and uh, risky. But apparently it, uh, came, it went off very well as far as uh, being a popular movie. Mm-hmm. So it was yeah, well people weren't super, super up in arms about seeing a more realistic side of it. That's good. But, but you, I think your point about the humor probably helped a lot in terms of making it still palatable. Uh, you know, a story that, okay, well, we need to know this, but it's not that bad. You know, we can, we can live yeah. with it. Because yeah, it's, it's, and it, it ends on an up note where they all, like even in the, the wedding, like Frederick March has a drink and he's like, he seems fine. Like he's not, yeah, right. they're not portraying it as a problem at that point. He's just like, well, right. he's doing okay. They're all doing yeah. okay. Yeah, we're sort of saying, oh no, he's not an alcoholic. He just had a, an adjustment period. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know if I really believe that. Yeah, if you, if you were to see the, what happened later, I'm sure it would still be an issue, but they're, yeah. they're ending yeah. it on, you know, they end with, not one, but two kisses. Right, uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one right after the other, so you're extra happy. Yeah, and I think it, you know, as far as uh, the Dana Andrews story, uh, you know, having him, uh, I mean, they did make it, uh, in a sense, about war because he got married in a hurry 20 days before he left. Yeah, that was a phenomenon so, that, that happened. That was a, a regular thing. So you could see how that would go south. Yeah. What, uh, now, what was the, there was like a reason they would do that. What, what was that? Uh, I heard about that at some point. I don't know what the actual... Oh, well, maybe because they wanted commitment. Yeah. Both, both parties wanted commitment and they wouldn't get it. Otherwise, they'd say, well, don't forget about me other, unless we get married. Yeah. Yeah. If they start and, seeing each other and they're like, well, let's just get married now. Uh, yeah. And, we, and maybe it would have had something to do with like, if he dies in the war, then she'll get like some inheritance or something like that. I don't know. Oh, she might get some benefits. Some Oh yeah. Some GI benefits. benefits. Too. Yeah, yeah. Could be, could be. But yeah, I think that sense of, Oh, well, I'm going away and I, and I'll be back in four years. It gives you, yeah, it gives you something, some hope. You have like, you lock, yeah. lock someone down and then he had, you know, he did the classic. He had the picture, her picture on the bomber yeah, exactly. uh, window. And if, if they weren't married, it, yeah, he wouldn't be able to. And he, even though they were married, obviously it really wasn't, you know, they didn't stay connected. Yeah. And I think it's implied that they barely knew each other. Yeah. Yeah. Too. And, she, and, and so. she was mostly excited because he was going to go to war and that was, exciting and she liked the uniform and yeah he was gonna make some money and and uh yeah her character to me seemed a little bit too much of a caricature yeah that just wasn't enough she was kind of just an obstacle for him yeah yeah they they could have developed that but you know it's already a long movie so (laughs) you're gonna develop every character yeah in a in a deep way you you're you're asking for trouble uh, so anyway, we'll get back to the minute. Uh, so he, he looks at himself in the mirror uh, and then there's a little bit more. I actually really like these next two bits where uh, he uh, goes, decides to go take a shower in the bathroom. And as he opens the bathroom door and looks in, uh, Myrna Loy opens the other door in the bedroom and it's it's done simultaneously, which uh, reminded me directly of, a, a, I think, a bit from Duck Soup. Oh one of those yeah, Marx Brothers movies. Right, and right. if they if that had been that movie, then she would have entered the bedroom, and then he would have gone to the other door, 
and they would have kept missing each other. <laughs> right, right. And it feels it like they're they're sense. they're yeah. setting up that bit, but they know that like in this movie they can't go all the way. They're just doing <laughs> the beginning of it. Right, right. But the timing of it is still was still enough to make me laugh. Yeah, yeah. And then, I like that too. Yeah. You know, when he was looking at the picture too, I I did uh, it did kind of uh, refer back to his uh, sense in the a previous scene where he was first with his family, both mm. kids. Uh, and he was figuring out that he'd lost touch, you know, that he was, uh, they'd grown up so much. He mm -hmm. didn't know who they were anymore. Uh, and he didn't feel very much uh, like a, a dad when his son seemed to know more about what was going on in the world than he did. And he'd yeah. been there. <laughs> yeah, and, it's interesting. You know, there are a couple instances of people telling this, these uh, soldiers about the politics of the war. Right. Sort of what other people are talking about. And they're kind of like, I don't, I don't want to know about any of this. You know, don't. Yeah. And I think that was also a, a way that Weiler wanted to get that message out. Mm -hmm. And this was a way to do it in the story. Uh, you know, to, we don't need to dehumanize the Japanese. Uh, they have families. They, they're, you know, their culture mm -hmm. is this. And, and, and here's his little, you know, high school son uh, telling him this uh, and, almost as if there's a lecture going on but yeah is, uh, is that the bit where he, he talks he's asking about the radiation yeah first he yeah. Got, he gives him the sword and he says well okay thanks but uh it's more interested in uh asking about what he's actually learning about and it was implied that he was learning about that in high school but i don't know if that would have been a subject in high school at that time. Yeah, I would have seems, been surprised. Seems unlikely that they were gonna um, really delve into that quite that soon. Yeah. Uh, I think that was more like 10 it, years later. Before. It definitely would have been in a textbook or anything. It would have had to no, be extra no. materials. No, and it was politically probably very, you know, iffy to, to yeah, politically, and then even, I imagine, scientifically, like a high school science teacher might not have the resources to be able to teach anything about that, you know, right. at that point, because it was so new. Yeah, and as far as the symptoms of radiation poisoning, you know, probably all that they were getting uh, in the United States was rumors at that point. Yeah, yeah, they uh, wouldn't have known much of what was, you know, was, they, they know it's a thing, but not really, yeah. Anyway, the, the whole idea of dot, not dehumanizing the enemy seemed yeah. to be part of the sense of that scene, uh, which is also something that wouldn't have been politically acceptable quite at that Yeah, point. it's pretty it's early too, for that. Yeah, too many people were still on board to, to uh, you know, villainize the enemy. Uh, so you know, there's a lot of stuff like that uh, that I think he was trying to get in there, but in a, in a subtle way. Now, this is going to be a little bit of a tangent, but I was reminded when he brought up the, the sword, the Japanese sword, this was the third movie or piece of media that Jessa and I watched in as many days where a Japanese sword shows up surprisingly. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> the first one was the Bratz movie, which I watched because uh, one of my favorite podcasts, the Flophouse podcast, did a, a commentary on it. And I decided to watch it was on Netflix and it was it's a pretty amusing movie in a in an outrageous kind of way. There's a surprise uh samurai sword in that. Oh, 
<laughs> and then there was an episode of Miami Vice, which I've been watching, the, the old show on, uh, on NBC. You can watch it on the NBC app. Um, and there's an episode where uh, there's kind of a, a Bushido theme. Go- the episode's called Bushido. And uh, Edward James almost, for some reason, has a, a Japanese sword. Oh. And it makes about as much sense. It, it, this one made the most sense, I would say, of the three. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was a good prop because it, it, what it seemed to say was, uh, you know, here's this, this um, spoils of the victor he's offering his son, and his son doesn't care about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it, it just there was a nice message there about, well, what was, what was the war for? You know, was it really to bring home spoils? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, that's about it for this minute. Uh, we, we got uh, Frederick March uh, to March to the shower and does he have his clothes on in the shower? We don't know yet, uh, but <laughs> this is a forties movie. So we're not going to see him naked. Uh, we'll find out next time this has been uh the best minutes podcast you can find it on apple Podcasts, spotify and google play or at the main site thebestminutes.com social media is available you can go to butch's place the best years of our lives listeners cafe on facebook and on twitter at the best minutes on twitter uh, and uh, in closing, I just ask that you join us next time uh, and we'll talk about whether <laughs> Frederick March is taking a shower with his clothes on. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Joe. You better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor.